0: Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in today. If today is your first uh, time viewing our platform, welcome. My name is Rick, and I'm one of the pastors at Hope. And I know Jeff welcomed you, but I wanted to do that as well. Uh, as he mentioned also at the very beginning, that we're in a series called Forget You, Less of Me and More of Him. And we're really asking the question, what does it look like to follow Jesus to making a choice to allow Jesus to move closer to the center of our lives and working with God to transform our lives into the image of Jesus Christ. So as we continue to see cases lower in New Jersey and there's warmer weather and the vaccines seem to be becoming more and more available, there's some talk of getting back to normal, right? Getting back to normal and we're excited about being with family and eating out and gathering for worship, and while a level of normalcy will be nice, the world that we are entering will not be the old world of 2019. What will change is still to be determined, and some say we may never go back to what it was like before the pandemic, and the levels of stress and the levels of anxiety and fear will still remain higher than our pre-pandemic levels. People are struggling, and our recovery will be a long term recovery. And this series, I believe, is at just the right time for us. How do we, as followers of Jesus, live life in this world, the world that we're in right now? How do we conform to the image of Christ while living our everyday lives? And so, I want to jump right into a story of Jesus uh, in the New Testament, and it's found in Mark chapter two and it 's going to be on my screen on the screen to my left and so it begins with when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home now soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no room even outside the door now a a typical first century home would be a one room house, maybe fifty people if really crammed in together. And people heard Jesus was back in town and they were gathering to see and to hear him. And Capernaum was sort of his base of operation. Some people think this home might have been Peter's house. Now, while Jesus was teaching, the story goes on, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Now, no names are given for for these men, just four anonymous men. Were they friends? Could be. I kind of think they were. They are comfortable enough and motivated enough to seek a cure for a paralyzed man. And this man feels safe enough to be carried by these friends. I think we can safely assume that they were friends. Now, the story goes on, and Mark writes that they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. That's quite honestly a really sad statement. It would be easier to dig through a roof than dig through the crowd. I imagine the men tried the front door and the response was not very positive. And if you know this story, you know that they're going to dig a hole in a roof. Their plan had been to walk through the front door, but the crowd would not allow that to happen. And so digging through a roof is an unorthodox plan B for these men. And so they got creative. Someone grabbed shovels, another found some tools, and someone found enough rope. And Mark says that they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Now this was really risky work. The integrity of the roof is likely going to be compromised as they dig a hole in it. Jesus may not appreciate the interruption as roof material is falling down in front of him while he's preaching. And what about the homeowner? If it's Peter, how does he feel about a hole in his roof? If it's not Peter, how does the homeowner feel about this being done, this, this uh, uh, update to their home being performed? And the guy who's paralyzed, how do you safely lower a guy through a hole in the roof. There's plenty of risk in this story. They had to carry him up a a narrow outdoor staircase. They had to dig and cut a hole in the roof. They had to tie their friend uh, uh, with ropes and lower him through a hole. And they had to convince their friend that this was a good idea, right? It almost sounds like a practical joke in a sense. Mark says, then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. And then Mark has these three words, seeing their faith. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. And they had succeeded. They were able to get their friend to Jesus. Their hard work pays off and Jesus forgives this man's sins. Now let's pause there for just a moment. I wonder if that's why the men brought their friend Jesus. Was forgiveness from sin on their mind, or was relief from paralysis their priority? I have to tell you, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It has some deep personal significance for me. I was in a seminary class with my favorite professor of all time. It was 1991. It was the first of many classes that I would take with him because after this class, I took every class he taught. He gave us an assignment in this class that I walked into having no idea what the class was about, but the assignment was to read this story in Mark chapter two the story that we just read, and then to write a short story based on the story we just read. He said these words, and I still remember them uh, decades later. He said, like a diver on a diving board, I want you to dive deeper and further into the story. And so I began asking questions of the story. Where did these guys get this idea? How did that conversation begin? How do you tell your paralyzed friend, we're gonna bring you to a teacher who may heal you, may not, and there's a crowd, and now we're gonna carry you and lower you through a roof. How does that conversation go? What did these guys see or experience that even led them or led one person in the group to say, hey, let's bring bring our friend to Jesus? I mean, had they been following Jesus? Had they been watching Jesus? When the front door was blocked, who was the first one to suggest the roof? And had they already gone through plans B, C, D, and E, and the roof was plan F? How did the others respond to the roof idea? And was this collective courage or angry determination that led them to the roof? But all I know is they took their time. uh, They gave their time. They took a risk. They worked hard. And they didn't quit when the way was blocked. And what I noticed is they did some very unspiritual things. They were carrying and digging and tying and lowering and watching. And the story doesn't say they prayed. It doesn't say they read their Bibles. And it doesn't say anything else spiritual on their part. Only that they had this unmatched determination and ingenuity and passion for a friend in need. And their unorthodox and unspiritual work led to Jesus doing some very spiritual work in this man's life. So there's a rest of the story. After Jesus forgave forgave the man's sins, it's not on the screen, I just want to tell it to you. Some religious scholars were sitting there, and they started whispering among themselves. And they were saying things like, he can't talk that way. That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Now, Jesus knew right away what they were thinking. And I don't think this was a, this was a God moment for Jesus. I think this was very clear by the, the, the faces on the, uh, that these guys had, that they were not happy what, what Jesus was doing. And so Jesus said to them, why are you so skeptical? Which is easier to say to a paralyzed man, I forgive your sins or say, get up, take your stretcher and start walking. Well, just so it's clear, Jesus went on. He said that I'm the son of man and authorized to do either or both. He looked down at the paralyzed man and he said, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. And the man did. He got up, he grabbed his stretcher that he had been lowered on, and I'm sure all the rope's still attached to it, and he walked out with everyone there watching him. And Mark says the whole crowd present said things like, we've never seen anything like this. Not only was their friend's sins forgiven, now he is healed, and the entire crowd, the entire atmosphere was changed. They had made a difference and everyone present was affected by the work of these four men. Now I want to talk to you just for a moment because I want to share with you why that story is significant in my life, but I think it may be significant in some other people's lives as well. Because I know there are likely some people who are watching who you may see yourself as not a very spiritual person. And you're watching this today and things like prayer or Bible study or when we talk about small group or words like church or faith, it just doesn't seem to fit with your maybe more practical lifestyle. And those things just seem out of character for you. I want to share with you with all honesty that I don't tend to lean toward being a spiritual person myself. That's why this story has such significance for my life. Now, I know how to pray, and I know how to read my Bible, and I do those things, and I attend church faithfully, and, and, and I, I want to be part of small groups and all those things. But at the time of my seminary class, I was wondering, not sharing with anybody, but wondering if maybe being a pastor wasn't the path for me because I didn't naturally do or say spiritual things like I saw other pastors do. And I thought I was supposed to do those same things too. See, because doing spiritual things seemed way out of character for me. And so this story led me on a journey to discover that maybe being spiritual and maybe bringing people to Jesus for healing isn't the same for every person. I began to ask questions like, what if being spiritual can be time spent with friends? What if digging holes through a roof or taking a risk is spiritual enough? I was fascinated that it said Jesus saw their faith, that Jesus saw their faith. These guys are peered through a hole in the roof, They're covered in dirt, they're covered in sweat, and they have rope-burned faith. And Jesus saw through their action and saw their faith. What if being spiritual is about building close friendships so you can have the awkward conversation about bringing your friend to Jesus? What if showing love for others is spiritual enough? What if being spiritual means to Live like Jesus and try finding what works for you to bring healing where needed. So I was asking all these questions and I continued through this class and each week I was reading a different story of Jesus and having to write a different response story and then presenting it to the class. And then I noticed somewhere in the middle of the semester that most of the stories of the people following Jesus didn't involve spiritual things. It involved passing out bread or fishing or walking or talking. And it seemed that Jesus always seemed to handle the spiritual part while those who followed Jesus, well, they just followed and they just lived and they just worked as regular people and they just kind of were there alongside Jesus while he did the spiritual things. They were just kind of living regular lives while following Jesus. Now, before the pandemic, the world we live in was filled with brokenness. You've heard us talk about that, and it's because it's part of of our our creation story, is that it's broken by sin, and it's been broken from the very beginning. And now, the post-COVID levels of brokenness are worse, and yet, still to be discovered. It's as if our fragile world, filled with its bitterness and hatred and anger, is now being turned on its side, and it's just been made worse. We have yet to see the levels of heartache and brokenness. We only know our world is more broken than it has ever been before. So job loss and health crisis and financial loss and relationships ruin. Healing is needed more than ever. What would happen if a community of Christ followers committed to be less about themselves so that they could be more like Jesus in their everyday life, did what Jesus did and delivered healing to this broken world. Maybe it's even an awkward conversation about healing with a close friend. Or it's the hard work of bringing someone to Jesus. Maybe more so today because of the crowd and what is going on all around us. Maybe the crowd that's not helping and is more a hindrance. Maybe it involves us being more out of the box and more creative thinking, even risky thinking. See, and we may not immediately see jobs found or health crisis averted or rescued from finances or relationships that are falling apart, will continue to fall apart, but maybe we will see those changes. We just might see Jesus perform more than one healing miracle right in front of our eyes. And, you know, we've talked about this before as well. As This is the first pandemic in history. As a matter of fact, there's a, quite a history of pandemics throughout our world. There was a pandemic in the first and second century in Rome, and did you know the church had explosive growth in response to those pandemics because of the way the church responded in that crucial time? When a community of faith willing to do the work of becoming more like Jesus while living regular lives, we can bring the healing our world needs desperately. And because of our pandemic experience, there is more research on community and on the effects of isolation than ever before. And recently, I was reading an article, and and when I read this one part of the article, I chose to save it, knowing that it would have an impact and a message in the future. It was talking about what people find in healthy community. And the author wrote that shame, fear, sadness, and all the things you're not supposed to feel become willingly exposed and okay in community. He said that being seen and accepted is all we really want in community. And we want to realize that we're not alone. And as I read that, my first response was, that is a definition of a healthy church community. It is a church that is less about me and more about him, that can make community and make healing possible. Jesus saw their faith. Friends doing these unspiritual things, and Jesus saw faith. They weren't Bible reading or praying or memorizing scripture, all good things. They were carrying and climbing and digging and cutting. They poked their heads, through the opening in the roof and not one of those things is religious or spiritual. Yet every one of those things in that moment with Jesus was spiritual and Jesus saw their faith. You know, the name Christian was first used in Antioch in the first century. I told you about the second and third centuries where there was a pandemic. In the first century, there was a pandemic as well. It was a pandemic of persecution. And again, the Christians moved into this town of Antioch and there was explosive church growth and impact on the city and people started calling them Christians, which means to belong to Christ. They became known because of the way they lived as those that belonged to Christ. The way these people lived life was different and it was remarkable and they were living like they belonged to Jesus. Imagine if that sort of church branding could happen in post-pandemic 21st century. See, because all of life is part of our becoming less about me and more about Jesus. All of life. This is not a spiritual thing. It's a life thing for the sake of others. We read it last week, your everyday ordinary life. And so I thought, What would it look like to get gas at the gas station? Because we all go to the same gas stations every time. And what does it mean to be less about me and more about Jesus at the gas station? Maybe it's just asking the gas station attendant, how are you doing? How are things? And getting to know the gas attendant. Maybe standing in line at the grocery store is less about me and more about Jesus. And how do I choose to respond in the long lines at a grocery store. If you're an accountant or an engineer or a teacher and you're filing and working and teaching, maybe it's less about me and more about Jesus, and you need to consider how would Jesus do my job if he did my job. All of life, even carrying and digging and tying, and it's all good and kind and life-bringing and encouraging And healing, and something that Jesus would call faith. Remarkably bringing healing to our world. So, the people that come in contact with us will see that their shame and their fear and their sadness and all those things that we're not supposed to feel are okay. And that they'll feel that they've been seen and accepted and they'll realize that we're not alone. That's truly bringing healing to our world. And it's living like Jesus, more of him, less of us. Hey, let me pray for us now. So God, I pray that the words that I have shared will be received in our hearts and in our minds. And that God, we would be challenged to be more like you, that God, there'd be less of us and more of you, that we would continue to move to put you into the center of our lives, that God, in the same way that you brought healing into people's lives, that God, we would take up that challenge to be like you. God, not that we do the healing. But, God, that we would create the relationships, that we would have the impact in our world, that we would be willing to move in the places where healing is needed, and we would find ways to bring you into the equation so that you would bring healing. God, that you would see the faith. God, that we can have faith that impact the lives of others. God, that's I pray that that would be our desire. And I pray, God, that we would be challenged to live that kind of life. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. And now may we, as we live our everyday ordinary lives doing practical, seemingly unspiritual things, may we have the courage to invite healing as we follow Jesus, focusing more on life and in the lives of the people you encounter. And may you have the courage to continue building and fostering healthy relationships so that together, like Jesus, we might heal our broken world. Have a great week.